welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I was born in the desert. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today uh, we're going to be talking about a topic that affects you if you're a man or if you're a woman. So that kind of includes all of us. And uh, it's about what's been going on, what's been brought to light, I should say, uh, with the recent Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement um, in regard to just what does that mean as far as the relationship between women and men. And uh, there, of course, if you've watched the Golden Globes, uh, there were a lot of interesting things that happened there, a lot of undercurrent things that people aren't talking about um, that I think needs to be talked about. And my guest today is someone who uh, is an expert in the field of misandry. Now, if you're scratching your head and going to your dictionary... <laughs> Misandry, well, I'll let him define it uh, <laughs> since he's the expert, but basically, just for right now, just to give you a preview, it's about um, being a man-hater or the hatred of men, um, just like a misogynist is someone who hates women. So, so we're going to get into that with um, this whole issue of, you know, do women hate men, do men hate women, What's been, why is, has there been uh, a deterioration in the relationship between men and women. Now, just to give you a little entree in this discussion to talk about the uh, Golden Globes, when, um, when I, I did some tweeting about all day, I was all day and the next day of the Golden Globes, um, because, you know, this is uh, very, a very important topic. And so first I wrote, hope Golden Globes won't de- devolve into parade of angry diatribes when supposed to be honoring films. And then I put up some uh, other things, and then um, uh, after it was over, I tweeted, Golden Globes equal pleasant surprise, entertaining except for awkward red carpet interviews, and Amy Poehler's sarcasm. Best part equals Oprah's inspiring speech. Hope time's up, ends harassment, and gender inequality, so next year we can... M-G-G-A-F-A. This is a hashtag I want to become popular. Um, M-G-G-A-F-A, make Golden Globes about films again. Duh, what a concept. Um, Well, after that, actually, the day after, uh, I was thinking about it some more, and I tweeted, uh, here's a heads up for Time's Up. There may well be a black lash, get it, black lash, (laughs) to the overpowering sea of women dressed in black at Golden Globes. Not all men are on board, though wore black tux. Women deserve more respect without us resorting to misandry. And then I I sent it to uh, Rose McGowan and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, You know, I had at to each of them. By the way, my um, Twitter... Uh, handle is at Dr. Carol MD in case you want to go there and check out my other inflammatory uh, and sometimes helpful tweets. So it's at Dr. D R K 
Carol, C-A-R-O-L-E-M-D. All right, now back to the topic at hand and to my guest, whose name is Dr. Paul Nathanson. He is an intersexual dialogue academic from Canada. Uh, I hate that word. <laughs> well, I'm just reading what your publicist wrote. I here. know. I I, I I warned him, but anyway. <laughs> well, what would okay? You I'm can, just uh, this is uh, your, my field is my field is religious can, studies. You and I'm interested. Hello. Yes. Go ahead. How would my you field, like to describe yourself? My field is religious studies, and uh, I'm interested in, among other things, how political ideologies, including one form of feminism, um, have come to function as secular religions. Huh. Boy, that's even more of a mouthful than an intersexual dialogue. Okay. Well, let me just say, um, I, I, let me uh, mention some of the books, the four books that you've written, along with uh, your co-author, Dr. Catherine Young. And you two have defined the field of misandry in our culture. And your four books are... Spreading Misandry, the Teaching of Contempt for Men in Popular Culture, Legalizing Misandry from Public Shame to Systemic Discrimination Against Men, Replacing Misandry, a Revolutionary History of Men, and Sanctifying Misandry, um, Goddess Ideology and the Fall of Man. These are all rather, um, you know, uh, ponderous um, titles. Uh, Well, tell us about, first of all, why don't you start by defining misandry. Well, misandry is just the um, sexist counterpart of misogyny. Mm-hmm. Misogyny is contempt for women. Misandry is contempt for men. Okay. All right. And what made you... Um, we're going to work our way up to from talking about this topic in general to talking about the Golden Globe. So what made you um, become interested in this area? Well, that's a long story. Uh, I uh, first of all, I'm gay, and I grew up um, having a very hard time understanding what it meant to be a man. Um, and years later, uh, I began to realize that um, feminism was uh, about understanding gender, and I assumed that uh, that was a good thing, and that. Um, what we learned about women, we could also learn about men. Uh-huh. But after a while, I began to realize that something had changed from the days of Betty Friedan, um, and some of the things coming out of feminism were really, I had to, I had to call them hateful. And I thought, you know, this, I, didn't, I didn't understand why feminism would produce that, um, but I became very interested in it, um, and by that time I was an academic. Uh, so Catherine Young and I decided to, um, as it were, go into business together. Her field was um, women in India, uh, because she's an expert on Hinduism, and uh, I, w- I dealt with uh, Western culture uh, and men, and so... Um, we spent 30 years together doing, doing research on that. We have four books, two more on the way. Uh, and um, so that's how I got involved. I wanted to know for personal reasons what it was to be a man. Um, and I think that what I've learned is something that other men should know too. And uh-huh. women. 
So now, uh, I'm sure a lot of people find that intriguing, to say the least, that you're gay and yet you're talking about or defining what a man is. Yes, What do you say right. to that? Well, um, you might consider that ironic, but, uh, you know, truth is not something that is confined to any group of people. Um, Catherine Young is a good example. I mean, she's a Western woman, and she's fascinated by Hinduism. Um, and uh, you don't have to be a Hindu to take a scholarly interest in Hinduism. Uh-huh. Yes, that's a good way of explaining it. Okay. Um, so what are some of the... So what's... Well, then, let's just jump into... Now, I presume that you... I mean, I know you know all about what's been happening in terms of Me Too and, and Time's Up. And did you watch the Golden Globes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. I had so to. let's talk in a general sense. As this first was coming about in regard to Me Too, um, what were you thinking? Well, the, the Me Too aspect, um, I, I guess I would classify that as a kind of therapeutic attempt um, by women to think about and talk about their experience. What worries me more than Me Too is the movement that is called Believe Women, because that introduces the notion of belief um, into a legal or semi-legal context where I think belief is really out of place. Um, when I, I mean, in my field, when I hear the word belief, I think of religion. Mm-hmm. And when I think of American law and the American system, I think of the separation of church and state. So when, I, when people talk about believing women, no matter what they say, um, downplaying the importance of actual evidence, um, I have a problem with that. That's a real problem. You know, I actually hadn't heard of the Believe Women uh, movement. Yeah, it, that's actually, that didn't begin uh, with this thing. That, that's been going on for a few years. Um, in Canada, we had a case about five years ago in which somebody was accused by three women of sexual misconduct. It was fired right away by the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, But then um, the case actually went to court, and the judge found that uh, found him uh, not guilty because um, the women were demonstrated to have lied to the court. Um, Now that brought out a movement in Canada, which was not uh, new either, um, called Believe Women, and people demonstrated in Ottawa, and uh, um, it was a massive movement. And people still talk about it. It's certainly widely known in, um, among lawyers and judges. Um, so the idea is that you want to um, make, easier, make it easier for courts to convict people of sexual offenses. And therefore, you not only do things like, like undermine due process, um, but you also give the prosecution um, um, a head start by saying that right from the get-go you believe that, mm. the, that the men are guilty, which undermines the notion of presumption of innocence unless proven guilty. So there, this, this is a, a legal movement. It's, um, it's not new. It's about maybe 10 years old. But, of course, it came to prominence in this particular incident. Yes. Yes, well, that is one of the things, you know, I've been talking a lot in the media about Me Too, and then, of course, um, Time's Up came, but um, 
you know, that was one of the key things that I did not like about Me Too. And, and let me just say for those listeners who are not aware of this, um, one of my, my day job actually is as a psychiatric expert witness. And so I have worked on cases from both the alleged victim's point of view and the alleged harasser's point of view. And, of course, it's most often, not always, but most often men as the alleged harasser and women as the alleged victims. And um, I have seen uh, where it is true from both sides. In other words, sometimes women who uh, claim that they were sexually harassed by a particular man um, are not exactly telling the truth, either, because, either consciously they're lying or um, what, one of the fascinating things is that sometimes these women have been molested or sexually abused when they were little girls, and they sort of lose the ability to differentiate that experience from the male that they are blaming for sexual harassment. They, sort of, they project this earlier experience onto this uh, current man. So it's not, it, sh- it shouldn't be, you know, believe women all the time. A lot of times also it has to do with, or I shouldn't say a lot, but sometimes it has to do also with um, women who were in a consensual relationship with a man, and um, at some point uh, the man decides he doesn't want to continue the relationship, and then all of a sudden the woman cries uh, sexual harassment when she was actually fully, <laughs> a full participant mm-hmm. um, before that. So there are you know, different reasons why uh, you sh- it isn't 100% that just because a woman says so that this happened, that it actually happened, and that, yes, so the Me Too movement, and the big problem with it is because they are expecting a lot of the women in that have, are expecting um, the public to uh, just believe that these men are guilty without having a trial, um, without producing any evidence, just because they say so. It's just like the believe women. That's right. Another reason why things go awry is because definitions of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, rape, uh, keep changing, and the definitions normally keep expanding so that sexual harassment can include everything from somebody telling a lewd joke to somebody actually um, approaching the degree of rape. Now, that's a huge area, and um, whether or not everything should be considered sexual harassment is a... Uh, it's a debatable point. Let's just say it's debatable, and it should be debated. Right, yes. That's part of it, too, that the women who are complaining about uh, somebody like, you know, President Bush, there was a a story about how it was reported that he was sitting down um, when he was with a group and they were taking a picture, so sitting down, he would put his hand on a woman and it would, you know, touch her buttocks. Um, compare that to somebody like Harvey Weinstein where there actually are allegations of rape and um, I mean you can't it, it's gotten ridiculous and then um, the woman whose name I always forget because, <laughs> because I, I want to repress it I mean it just makes me annoyed um, this woman who uh, came out against Al Franken because he allegedly kissed her when mm-hmm. she didn't want to be kissed and then right. there was the picture which really doesn't show that he's touching her breasts, but his hands are in a very, uh, right. in a, you know, it doesn't look good. 
his, I, it's really that his hands are above her breast, but in front, so it seems like they could be touching. In any case, she made a big stink out of it. He's now resigned. She wasn't the only one in the end, but, but still, he, I, I mean, I was kind of surprised that he resigned because he never, he never took it to court. I mean, a lot, of time, a lot of these men are getting so embarrassed that even if they think they are not guilty, they just want it to go away. Right. Well, look, they're just as reluctant to go to court as the women are reluctant. I mean, it's, a, it's an ordeal to go to court and have your entire life and your reputation being challenged. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So what do you think about... Um, what do you, well, the other thing about Me Too, and I don't know if you, um, what you, I'd like to know what you think about this, but the other thing about Me Too, before we get on to Time's Up, is um, that I think it's been, the movement was taken over by women who actually are, uh, are uh, what, what would you say, are misandrists? Um, just like misogynists, it's misandrists, yeah, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so who are Misandris and who may not have been and may not even claim to have been harassed or abused, but that just that they're part of this movement and it really is to to put men down or get rid of men. Yes, yes. Well, that happens with most movements. It gets hijacked by people who are politically motivated. Um, that's not unusual, but I think it's certainly the case in, in this uh, instance. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at, um, oh, there's the music. Well, we'll have to look at <laughs> whatever I was going to say when we come back. Okay. Um, my guest is Dr. Paul Nathanson. We're talking about misandry, which I'll shorten to explain as man-hating. Uh, and the question is, do women hate men? So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. <laughs> the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Dr. Paul Nathanson uh, about misandry. That is his expertise. And uh, the question is, do women hate men? So take it, Dr. Nathanson. Yeah, well, uh, I want to make uh, some clear distinctions here. Uh, I don't think that women in general hate men in general. Um, There are some women who do. Um, and they're the ones that I classify as ideological feminists, which uh, is not the same as egalitarian feminists. I think most people think of feminism as an egalitarian movement, and it certainly originated that way. The idea was simply that men and women should have equal rights. Um, but somewhere along the line, I would say in the late 70s, early 80s, it began shifting um, towards something that... Uh, is quite different, and that is the ideological version of it. And ideology is um, uh, a fancy word for a worldview that relies heavily on the polarization between us and them. Okay, so we are good, they are evil. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. That's a worldview uh, that um, it, women did not invent. That it has a long, long history in the West, um, but there it is. Um, and you can find it on both, in both on the left and the right of the political spectrum. Um, so uh, I think that feminism has been, I guess you could say, hijacked um, by women who really are trying to say something other than uh, we should all be equal. They're, they're basically trying to say that women are superior to men um, and that men are innately flawed and that misogyny hatred of women is not just um, um, a casual product of uh, economic or sociological situation but rather something deeply rooted in maleness itself and Mm. that all of history is a titanic conspiracy of men to oppress women Mm. yes that's very well put Uh, I mean it's like uh Men and women are equal, but women are more equal, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, and if it were only that, it wouldn't be so bad. But it's this, it's this malevolence that they attribute to men that I think is the really dangerous thing. Well, you know, and the thing is that this, where this comes from, in my opinion, and as a psychiatrist, and I'd like to hear yours, you know, as someone who has studied misandry, maybe it's the same. Um, what I see it as is, Women who have been hurt by men, I mean, really, you take it back, and it has to do with their relationship with their father and all of that, but basically, women who have been hurt by men, men, uh, they weren't, I know this seems, you know, uh, this seems simplistic, but exa- an example, like women who uh, were dumped by men, women who weren't asked out to the prom, women who feel ugly and, and um, are passed over by men, women who were divorced by men, all kinds of uh, situations in life where women were hurt by men. And that is where, I mean, anger comes from being hurt. What, what, do, what do you think about that? Well, I think um, 
I think anger can come from being hurt. Um, it can also come from cultural sources um, that are independent of any individual hurt. In other words, culture helps people organize their thoughts uh, and sets them in various directions. So, um, yes, I think a lot of women who have been hurt um, uh, begin to hate men, um, and the same thing is true of men. But I think there's a larger, there's a deeper force involved here, um, and that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, how do ideologies come, come about, and why do people turn to ideologies instead of thinking for themselves? Um, so I guess that my focus is on that rather than on individual cases of pathology. Uh huh. I'm well, thinking really uh, of I'm thinking really of cultural pathology. Yeah, can you give an example? Well, uh, the most obvious example I can think of uh, would be um, anti-Semitism. I mean, sure, there probably have always been some. Um, Gentiles who have been um, uh, hurt in some way by some Jewish, some encounter with a Jew, but that doesn't explain the historical force and power um, and pathology of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that there are other cultural uh, forces as well, other than uh, greater than personal. Yes. Um, well, you know, let's let's go on to the uh, times up because this is now has become an extension of the Me Too, yeah. and um, a little more. It seems as though because there were women who organized this, top uh, Hollywood celebrity women got together and decided, <laughs> and they sort of hijacked the Me Too movement <laughs> and to call it Times Up, and um, their movement is. More to, they're more about, or they say they are, more about action and rather than just sort of complaining and whining, you know, me too. I mean, it got to be, me too what? It became meaningless after a while. Um, and yes, of course, I do want to say, yes, it is uh, very hard for victims to come forward. There's a lot of shame, self-blame, uh, fear that they won't be believed, and all of that, Absolutely. Um, so I'm not putting that down at all. I'm just saying that it's, for, for some women it seemed like they wanted their 15 minutes of fame rather than that there was some serious sexual um, assault or, or harassment. But in any case, getting back to Time's Up, um, so this group of Hollywood women set about making uh, a more action-prone uh, or you know hashtag or, or organization, and they are about... Uh, of course, getting help for women, not only in Hollywood, but women in all fields who were sexually harassed, getting more justice for them, although it's not... And they've started a, a fund, a legal mm-hmm. fund for these women to um, get proper representation and, and um, to be able to take these cases to court, which is great. Um, they also are about, as we were talking about this, equ- equality, but it does seem, you know... Uh, it, it does seem like equality at the expense of getting rid of men. In other words, if, if Hollywood, let's just say, talk about Hollywood, if, if Hollywood or, or uh, jobs in general even are more male-dominated, certain jobs, um, then to get women to be equal 
it means getting rid of some men, or, or unless one could make a lot more jobs. But that's not, you know, uh, reasonable. <laughs> so, um, like, like, one of the things that bothers me is um, Matt Lauer, for example. Uh, you know, they, I mean, I'm not, yes, it seems there were lots of women, and, and in fact, one of the things, I don't know if you know this, but there was a roast of Matt Lauer, um, that way predated all of this, in which there's a, a YouTube of it, videos um, on the internet uh, about from this roast that shows people, you know, in, in this plain open group uh, making fun of him, roasting him, and talking about his sexual proclivities and, and all that. So it wasn't a secret before, but mm-hmm. now it came out and um, NBC fired him right away. Now, I mean, yes, it did seem like there were a lot of women, and it did seem like it was known, and he was laughing at this roast. So, you know, it's so interesting, because that wasn't that long ago, and it went from laughing at these issues at his roast to his being fired. What do you make of that? Mm -hmm. Well, one, one problem here, and I don't know how to solve this problem, but there is, we do have to make a distinction, no matter how difficult it is, um, between flirting or sexual interest um, and sexual harassment. Right. And it's not always easy to see the difference. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, and, but it's, that's part of reality. It's a messy, sex is a messy business. Let's face it. It's always been messy, and it's always been uh, the subject of um, um, restraint, uh, and uh, cultural practices because otherwise there would be chaos. So we have to make a distinction between flirting. It's possible that people like Matt Lauer believed sincerely that he was simply expressing interest in a woman um, and playing this game in which uh, you know women play hard to get or what have Now, whether that was the case, I don't know. But I'm just saying that it is... It's a theoretical possibility that must be accounted for. You can't just ruin people's lives without accounting for that. Well, I think, I think there was enough. I mean, they should have, it wasn't a court of law, and obviously that would have been uh, what was really needed. But, but there, there does seem to be more, <laughs> more people talking about more than just flirting. But my point is that he had to be replaced and quickly replaced and um, they picked a woman, a woman uh, connected to the Today Show. And, you know, is she really, um, well, I mean, we're going to have to, it's left to be seen. But um, she didn't really have the ex- as much experience as he did. And, I mean, I'm just saying that you need to have women, it's not just putting a woman in a play, getting rid of a man and then replacing him with a woman, any woman. Um, it has, women have to have to show that they are qualified and have to, um, to, to take these places. And even then, the idea of getting rid of men to, put half of the, to give half of the jobs to women, there's just something uh, wrong with that idea. Maybe, maybe to have more forward-thinking hiring uh, processes in the future and equal women, a woman who is equal to a man in a particular job should get equal uh, you know, um, opportunity, but but I, I fear that there seems to be more of a let's let let male heads roll so that more women can get into these jobs. Yes, it's true. 
So, so let's. Um, so, what do you think of the Times Up movement? Well, I think as long as cases go to court, and as long as the courts honor the basic principles of American law, which is the presumption of innocence until proven guilty, and uh, as long as the accused are treated fairly, um, then let it then it should take its course. I have no problem with that. Yes, yes. Well, let's talk about the Golden Globes because I think I think the Golden Globes was a wonderful snapshot of man-woman relationships. Um, I think, as you can tell from my tweets that I read at the beginning, I I don't think that the women should have um, picked black first of all as a color that they were all dressed in, and it was amazing how only um, there were only about three women who did not follow, like Lemmings, uh, and, and dress in all black. There were a couple of women who had put a little color with the black, but, um, but for the most risk. part... What? They took a risk. They had courage. Yes, yes, those women did. But, but what about... The, they would have had more courage if they wore a different color. Yes, and the, that's what right. I don't like, What I don't like about that, and it goes with exactly what we were talking about just now is that, um, first of all, it co-opted the men. In other words, we all know men wear black tuxedos to uh, these award shows, and so it would make it seem like, uh, it, would, it would sort of be a way of controlling them um, and, and making it seem like they were um, in favor of this, or which, of course, um, I don't think all of them were. And, and it just... Uh, it just did this this very thing of o- almost replacing the men. Men come in black tuxedos, so now the women are going to come all in black. It's like replacing the men um, in this in black. I yeah, mean, I, I, know th- I hadn't thought of that, but I think you're right. I thought of the of the color symbolism of black in terms of mourning. I mean, I, I wasn't really sure why women wanted to appear as if they were in mourning when it should be the opposite. Um, but I think your point is well taken. I think that's what they were doing. Yes, it's maybe unconsciously, <laughs> you know. But it, and if you looked around, what I just it was uh, if you looked around the room, um, you know, when they panned the, when the cameras panned the room uh, at the Golden Globes, there were some interesting pictures of men, you know, caught unawares. Nobody knows when the camera is going to be coming on them. And mm-hmm. caught unawares, and not looking super happy about the whole thing that was going on. Well, they were in a no-win situation, and uh, some commentators mentioned or asked the question. Well, yeah, they wore their little badges um, yeah. to show that they were politically correct, but they didn't actually talk about the event. Um, and the event, of course, had nothing to do with movies. It had to do with, you know, sexual harassment. So. Um, why didn't they comment? And, you know, some people suggested, well, maybe they were um, really there to listen to women instead of talking. Um, other b- people suggested that maybe they were just afraid to talk because whatever, you, whatever they say would be a minefield, uh, a gender mm-hmm. minefield. Yes. Um, so they were in a no-win situation. Whether they said anything or didn't say anything, they were going to be wrong. Yes, yes, yes. I, I read about that, and, and thinking back on it, yes, 
that um, when men got up to get their award, they didn't say anything about Me Too or Time's Up or anything. There was just one man, uh, I forgot who it was now, I think it was the, direct, the, one, the winner for director, who said um, that there should be more, like his program was uh, showed about the inequality and, and, um, and he said there should be more, or, or, there should be more, um, it's this, that kind of thing shouldn't happen. Like that, you know, what he, uh, his show program should be like sort of a warning or whatever that, you know, um, this kind of thing shouldn't happen. But, um, but, but men didn't mention it, and I think that that was a clear, in addition to what you were saying, I think also it reflected their being angry. This is supposed to be an awards show. They worked their ass off <laughs> to get to do whatever their project was, and they're getting an award, and they want to bask in that moment and not have to do, deal with something political. And what was also interesting is Ryan Seacrest. Uh, he, on the red carpet, um, I like the Golden Globes better than the red carpet in terms of that that wasn't quite as political. I mean, it certainly was political, but it was, the red carpet was worse. And Ryan Seacrest um, was talking when people would come. He would ask the women all about uh, Me Too, Time's Up, women's movements, uh, all of that. And when men came up to the red carpet, he asked them about their projects. So it, it was so ironic because here he was doing the very thing That's that right. women um, didn't want. Like, in other words, women were getting shortchanged to talk about their talents and their projects right. because they were being asked about Me Too. Well, that's right, but they were the ones who set that situation up. Yes, yes. And here, here we have another break that we need to take. We will get back to misandry and all of that with my guest, Dr. Paul Nathanson. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, talking today about do women hate men. This is with an expert on misandry, um, Dr. Paul Nathanson. And we've been talking about uh, the history of men, women, and the Golden Globes. And um, during the break, uh, Dr. Paul was talking about how he's glad I'm a psychiatrist because he's depressed. So tell us all why you're depressed. Well, you know, I have spent 30 years doing research on men and women uh, with a, with a, a female colleague, and we have um, two more books coming out. And the final volume to come out in our series um, is called Transcending Misandry and Misogyny. Mm. Um, and that book is about um, the possibility, which now seems incredibly remote, of intersexual dialogue, of men and women actually having a conversation that is not just ranting at each other, that is not just debate in which one side wins over the other, but something that generates healing and reconciliation. Now, I would have thought that that would be a, something self-evidently desirable, um, but every time I give um, a presentation on intersexual dialogue, uh, I get protests. People demonstrate in front of the in front of the door because really? they don't want dialogue. What? Yes. <laughs> yes really? And what are they saying? What? Why don't they like this? Well, uh, it's actually been taped. You can, if you Google me, you'll find the tape. Uh-huh. Uh, in Toronto, um, Catherine and I went to uh, present a paper on intersexual dialogue. Um, it took place at University of Toronto. And uh, we had protesters that we had to get the police in to protect to protect us. But what they don't part want dialogue. They to... think they, they okay. assume that dialogue is a synonym for I don't know um, uh, rape apologists that we're, we're rape apologists somehow. I mean, they haven't read anything that we've written. They just don't like the idea. They want huh. to control the discourse. Huh. So uh, even you know, after all these the... years. Um, uh, it's really very depressing. I mean, I will not live to see the day when there is any progress in this. Uh, you know, I think we're more likely to see peace in the Middle East than we are to okay. see peace in, between men and women. And that's, a, that's really, I find that depressing. There's no other word for it. Well, it, yes, absolutely, because, um, you know, I mean, we're seeing the effects of uh, this, even before Me Too, we've been seeing how over the last couple of decades, it's gotten harder and harder for men and women to form romantic relationships. Um, I attribute this largely to divorces where little boys and little girls see their parents hurt by the other parent and they, they're afraid of intimacy. Um, but, you know, I mean, now dating uh, online, we, we can't even have, you know, normal people... Uh, meeting at uh, you know the normal way it used to be, where we would people would uh, be at different events or at work. Or, well, it certainly can't be at work anymore now, um, and and it's just become so sanitized. Um, well, the ideal is to have is to have codes of sexual etiquette, certainly on university campuses, that would frankly um, be amusing to the Victorians. 
Yes, yes. They're, they're, that, they're that puritanical. And, um, and, and so we're having more men looking at porn, and we're having, I, I don't know if you've been following this, but there are, you probably have, I'm sure, since, uh, since this is what you do, but, you know, there, there's an increase in the um, production of male, uh, well, started with female, and then they're going to go into male uh, robots. Do you know about sex robots? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, this is how far it's gotten. <laughs> they don't want to talk to each other, and they don't even want to have sex with each other. That's right. Well, uh, I don't know how to, just to say this without stepping on people's feet, um, especially gay people, but I have to admit that if I were a Martian coming to observe all this, I would have to at least think about the possibility that the movers and shakers are those who have least to gain by men and women coming together. Hmm. That's um, who, are the, who are the big winners here? The big winners are women who have no investment in men. Either they have no sons or they have no husbands or boyfriends and don't want any. In fact, just you know, about two weeks ago, I read an editorial in the Huffington Post by Emily McComb, and she basically says, well, very explicitly, that she has trouble with the whole idea of loving her own son. Huh. So that's where we've come. What was, what was considered radical or fringe 10 years ago, because it was isolated on college campuses, is now becoming mainstream. Hmm. Well, it's very, uh, I mean, it's, it's very, uh, does not bode well for the human species. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, and you know, um, not only but that. From my point but, of view, I mean, from my point of view, I'm not in this primarily because right. for practical reasons. For me, this is a moral problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a moral problem. It's, um, it's a confusion between justice and revenge. And um, I think uh, I want people to think about this in moral terms. Well, you know, two of my books um, are about relationships. The first book that I ever wrote was called Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. And then the third book that I wrote was called Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. And in each one, I talk about 12 different types of bad boys and 12 different types of bad girls. And basically what they are are heartbreakers. And they become bad, so to speak, um, because of their relationship with the parent of the opposite sex that makes them, that's dysfunctional and makes them feel um, unlovable. And, um, you know, it's almost gotten beyond that now, where yes. now we're talking about relationships with robots, you know, and so it kind of doesn't matter who you, I mean, it's just, it's just, this is, this is part of this downward cycle. Well, I must admit that when I, when I actually read the accounts of the women, not only of, not only those associated with Harvey Weinstein, but with others, um, some of them described events that were, you know, really um, terrifying. I mean, they were describing rape. But many of them, if not most of them, were describing things that were, uh, another generation would have said that they were just innocent. Yeah, awkward teenage boys. If you look at old movies made in the 30s and 40s, 
people made films about uh, risque topics that was called risque, and it meant clever, sophisticated uh, jokes that alluded to sexuality. That was considered um, something possible uh, within the bounds of respectable society. Uh, Mae West earned her living not only by delivering those jokes on film, but by writing them herself. Uh, nobody ever ran out of theaters screaming because of her lines, and yet now we have this um, this mentality in which any allusion at all to sex, even even saying you look beautiful in that dress this morning, mm-hmm. w- would be considered as something um, evil. Now you know that's that's really disturbing. I find. Yes, absolutely. Um... I mean, I, I did. Was there anything else that the? I'm, I'm still stuck on the protesters for your speech. Was there anything else that these people, the protesters, said? Um, you know that they didn't like. I mean, besides that they thought you were rape apologists. I mean, it would be. In, it's interesting that they thought that even though it was a man and a woman, that a woman. Well, <laughs> of course, I got flack too, for that matter, for some of the television appearances. I was doing a debate on one of them. Uh, with a woman, <laughs> where finally I had to sit back and and say she just wouldn't. She was just talking, you know, the whole time. And finally, I just sat back and I said, "You're, <laughs> you're a very angry woman," <laughs> to which she really didn't respond. <laughs> but, um, but you know, there is this 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 heatedness. And so, was there anything else that the protesters said for why they didn't want you to? Uh, promote dialogue between men and women? No, no, and that's the problem, because they weren't really interested in in discussing it. They didn't bring up points. They didn't talk to us. They ranted, and they made noise. They had drums, and they they turned off the lights in the building, and they called the fire department, but it was not a debate, even. Was Was it mostly women? It was mostly women, but there were certainly men who came along. Uh huh. In fact, one of the most one of the most virulent feminists. I use that word advisedly because it comes from the Latin word "man," "vir." Mm-hmm. Uh, is um, Michael Kimmel, and he's a sociologist at uh, the University uh, State University of New York, and he has written um, books that uh, basically are saying that. All these problems are the result of men who feel entitled, aggrieved entitlement to power and prestige over women. Now, where he gets the evidence, I don't know, because he never presents any, any sociological evidence for that. But that is the basic claim of ideological feminists, who also never present any evidence for that. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, they choose the most cynical possible reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it never occurs to them that women have their own sense of aggrieved entitlement. And it never occurs to them either that, I mean, I think, I do agree with Kimmel in one way. I think that there is a sense of aggrieved entitlement among boys and young men, but it's not not entitlement to power and prestige over women. It's it's entitlement to a healthy sense of identity. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody deserves that. That is, uh, that is an entitlement that is universal. Yes. Um, and I think that there is this, 
uh, as women become, go over the mark and become not just want equal, but want more, um, uh, more power uh, over, over men instead of having this dialogue or being equal, uh, men are, of course, going to be more and more resentful of this and strike back. That's why I was saying that there's going to be a blacklash for the overpowering sea of women dressed in black. Um, you know, I, there's not going to, this isn't going to end with, well, <laughs> um, after the globes. There's, there, this has been, uh, an impact has been made on men that have made them somewhat resentful for this and fearful for what these women are going to be doing in the future. Not that there, not that there aren't lots of jobs that are, you know, direct, for example, they, um, Reese Witherspoon, was it Reese Witherspoon? No, it was, um, I forget who it was, but someone made the, when they were giving out the director awards, that all the candidates were just yes. men, and that's true, all and male. that shouldn't be that way. Um, so, you know, there are some real issues, yes. but the answer isn't to just be angry and overpowering. Well, I want to make sure we have enough time to mention your books again so that people can uh, go get them, and they are... Um, they are Spreading Misandry, The Teaching of Contempt for Men in Popular Culture, Legalizing Misandry from Public Shame to Systemic Discrimination Against Men, Replacing Misandry, A Revolutionary History of Men, Sanctifying Misandry, Goddess Ideology, and the Fall of Man. So, And then you have two new ones coming out, and you want people to go to Amazon to, to find them. That's right. Yes. Well, I want to. This is. And I want them to read my article, which is coming out this month in a a journal called New Male Studies. It's an online journal, and the article is called "If Not Now, When." Yes, that's that sounds very good. New Male Studies, and when is it coming out? Um, within a couple of weeks. Uh This month, it's coming out. Uh huh. Okay. Yes. Um. Well, I mean, needless to say, or I guess it's not needless, we do need the dialogue that you're talking about, or else things are just, people are just going to go off even more in their own directions. And I wanted to say, when without love, uh, I mean, without sex, okay, that's, there's no procreation and, and so on, but uh, without love in the world, you know, Freud discovered this 100 years ago, um, the more that you're missing love uh, and sex, the more that you, there's going to be a tendency towards violence. And, you know, in this world, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that the world has become more violent um, as we have been separate, as men and women have been uh, getting more separate from each other. And that is not to say um, that men and men and women and women can't also have love. But the point is this world needs more love and so that it can get, get less violent. Well, thank you again, Dr. Paul Nathanson. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 